just want us to be a kinder, gentler nation. <laughs> you, you're told to let the sleeping bear lie, but I just poked the sleeping bear. All right. All right, got to stop eating. All right, find your way to the book of Acts, chapter 15. Acts 15, 22. Page 1,435. Don't eat almonds and step up into the pulpit and try to speak. I got coffee. I got hot water. Okay, uh, book of Acts. As we left off here a couple... <clears throat> oh, those are... Oh, I'm going to cry. You be quiet out there. Ushers, ushers, take care of that man in the front row. No, he's not. He can't take care of himself. Hey, all right. Hey, do we pray yet? We must not have prayed. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the study of your word. We thank you uh, that in Jesus Christ you have given us life. Pray for understanding, wisdom, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. We, we need you. We need you in these days. We want to learn from history. We want to learn what you did, and, uh, and we're grateful. We're th- very thankful And day by day, we ask to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We studied through Acts chapter 15 concerning uh, really one of the, to me, one one of the most important chapters, which I've probably said to us. But it also then begs an answer, right? So the idea was you do not need to be circumcised to be saved. You, that, that whole argument that the, those that wanted to keep the law and what they offered and, and yet the, the question still remains, well then what, what makes a Christian? How, how do you, how do people know? Cause it wasn't that the push. Again, think, think according to when Jesus walked the earth and all the sharp words he had for the Pharisees, which it was the sect of the Pharisees who was pushing We've got to circumcise them. We, we, how, how else will the world know that they follow the living God? How will they know that they follow the covenant God? Because let's face it, as Gentiles getting saved by the covenant God, the, the one who made a covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the living God, the, the only true God, the creator, again, and you need to understand that where they're coming from is, is what what sign? What 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 is the sign of the new covenant, if you will? And and this was decided. So I draw your attention back by way of remembrance that they decided this. And let's look at fifteen nineteen, and it's James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James. So if you just want to you want to take Acts fifteen and you see James, uh, the brother of our Lord, fifteen nineteen, he says, therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. The decision that he believed the Holy Spirit said, they are not to be circumcised. 
There is no outward sign of what it is to be a Christian. Now, there's an inward working concerning uh, the commands. And again, I'll, I'll lay this out in such a way tonight for us that we can see clearly. This, this issue over circumcision, for us, Paul says it later on. He says, if I preach circumcision, I would not be suffering. Because when he would go out and preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, you know what happened to the Apostle Paul? He was persecuted for preaching the gospel. And his persecution arose from those of Judaism who had hardened their hearts as in the rebellion, even though Psalm 95 told them not to, they hardened their hearts to their own Messiah. And it was the Jews who primarily persecuted Paul first. He says, if I preached circumcision, if I preached that there was an outward work to give an evidence that you were a Christian, that would be the ritual. Now, there is a command Again, Mark has it, and Paul identifies it that, that uh, well, and Jesus himself said it, that those that follow Jesus Christ, those that are his disciples, those that are born of him, right, all who believe and are baptized. Now, many have also, because of the outward show of that, that ritual, right, think about what, this again, this, this works very well for our understanding, that many can turn baptism into the outward evidence that you are a Christian. But what can happen is it does not necessarily reflect the inner working of God having saved an individual when they believe the gospel. And this is why I bring it up in this way. It's great for us to know and understand that in history they decided no outward show, but the the instructions were to abstain from these sinful things that that the rest of the world is doing, separate yourself from sexual immorality, from things offered to idols. Live a holy and separate life. In, in your notes there, write 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 2 Corinthians 7, 1. And I always say we have time. We really don't have time, but let's go there anyway as the Holy Spirit brings that up. Now, let's read it backwards, Right? Right? Let's read it backwards. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 7, 1 first. This is the end of what Paul is, is writing to the Corinthians. And this works with the beginning of the word given to the church. And I remind you, okay? and let's face it, I'll be very honest. There are churches that got themselves all tripped up over the outward show of 2 Corinthians 7, 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 declares... Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, what's the real mark and evidence that we're believers? How do you know that you're a child of God? Well, here's how I know. I know that I know that I'm a child of God because of the spirit of God that lives in me. That when I cry out unto God as my father and I can say, Abba, Father, I know that that's truthful between me and him. And that's the seal, that is the, the mark of being his, as I'm born of his spirit. Now, when I say 2 Corinthians 7, 1 is a call to holiness. I love holiness. I love being perfected in holiness. I love a separated life. I, I love the identification with the fruit of the spirit that has come from the inward 
working of the Holy Spirit and and therefore then reflecting into the outward, or if you will, the fruit or the evidence of being spirit-filled. Love. I, I could stop I could just stop there, right? True Christians, and this is John's letter. If you if you want to be truthful and you want to be a believer, it's love one another, right? As Jesus Christ has loved you. That's really the mark of our Christianity, following Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, what happened to the church when they made baptism a ritual? Right? What happened to them? Well, then it's denying the necessity of the inward work of regeneration that God does through Jesus Christ. The regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Because if you can be baptized and give the outward, or again, I'll, I'll play along with Acts 15. If you can be circumcised and become saved, then it's a work and it's no longer grace. And then if it's works and if it's works based, then it's not grace and then you're not saved. That's, that's what they solved. Now, when I talk about water baptism in that way, I, I have been water baptized, right? Three times. Now, first time was at Lake Carlos with, with my brother and, uh, he, again, assisting pastor there as a family. And I have never had a believer's baptism. And, and this, this was several years now of, of walking with the Lord. And then I came to realize this because my pastor would say these things like the first step of obedience for a Christian is to be water baptized. And I would hear those words, and I said, I have never obeyed that. And I would hear it, and those words would get a hold of me. And, and he says, baptism doesn't make you a Christian, but once you are saved and you're a Christian, your first step of obedience is to be water baptized. And he used this phrase, and this is by experience. He said, because until you take that first step of obedience as a believer, and you acknowledge Peter's words was that there's an antitype which saves you, which is water baptism. And, and the way that he says it, an anti-type, so it's a type, but it's not really, you know, like it's, it's, it's actually, when you're water baptized, an anti-type says, well, there's an inward working. And this is what it was. It's like, so when you're water baptized, what are you saying? I'm saying, I didn't get saved the moment I got water baptized, is what? I'm saying is, I'm saved, and now this is the outward showing of the inward salvation and regeneration that God has done. So then my family, uh, all there, uh, raised uh, Lutheran, right? So all of us were at, promptly at two weeks of age, sprinkled with water. And my, my mom would uh, bring out the baptismal candle to light every, every year in commemoration of that. And, and so again, this, this is the mindset. And then I, then I prayed to receive Jesus Christ in high school, ran away for 10 years, came back. And two or three years into listening to the Word of God and came to that conclusion, I was never a believer. So that, that's not a baptism. Now, as I talk about that, I, I, I'm not making a statement about anybody else, although I am making a statement, what can be done. I'm, I'm talking tonight about what happened in, in my life was, was very confusing for my oldest brother, who, again, not born again. The rest of my family was like, right on, we understand that. But what happens when you're regenerated, then you finally recognize there's a difference that happened within. And in doing so, uh, Tanya also got water baptized that day too. 
And, and we both together were like, we need to be water baptized. So we were involved with the church plant. We had no access to, to a pastor to do that. We we're just going through this. And we're like, but my brother's a pastor and we're at a lake. And we're like, let's do it. Now, when I talk about that, you could have looked at my life. In fact, you would have looked at my life before I was saved. I had done all the religious things that I was required to do. And if you would say, if we look at it and say, he's a Christian. But inwardly, I was full of dead man's bones. And this is why when I come to this, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, and we talk about having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I don't know how many funerals I've been to where, where the statement of salvation is they were baptized as a baby on this such and such a day. And if you knew the person, you're like, but they were never saved. They lived their lives completely at at as an enemy, and, and you, you could never come close to this perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, the outward holiness movement, okay? Outwardly holy, inwardly? Inwardly a hypocrite. See, and this is the issue that I, I bring this up because Jesus' words to the Pharisees, again, should have been very clear for us that you could not concentrate on your outward holiness show to others, whether it be circumcision or baptism. If the outward of, of circumcision or baptism, that ritual, doesn't reflect a change within, then it's worthless. Or what you wear or don't wear, or where, where you go and don't go, or, or whatever things you partake of or don't partake of. But let's understand this. Now, back to 2 Corinthians 6.14. I guess we're talking about this a little more detail tonight. 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, think it through. Who are you truly yoked to? If you're saved and you came to Jesus in Matthew 11.28 and he promised you rest in him. Come to me, all you who uh, are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He promises rest for the souls. What happens when you're saved? And again, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He he simply says, you're yoked to me. You'll find rest for your souls. Well, the word to the Corinthian church was, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Hey, I can do the outward show. I was four different people when when I was in college. I I had the outward show from my mind in perfection. I'm pretty sure that now, the the me now, born again, would look right through and say, he's a phony and a fake. Outwardly, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? You wash the outside of the cup, but you... That inside is nasty of that cup. Well, not this one. See, we come to this in Acts 15, and I'll just leave it at that. It's... Uh, and I present this unto you, whenever the church has got, got into this trapping of an outward sign of being a Christian. Yeah? Again, maybe, you're, maybe your background is Baptist and, and the skirt had to be close enough to the ground. In fact, you come in and they would have the, the, the stick there to make sure that the, the, the skirt was appropriate because it was an outward show of holiness. Tanya and I went to a church, uh, legalistic and and again, the, only the, the women would only talk to the women, the men to the men. And, and we showed up casual. Uh, I think I probably had like what I wear to work, khakis and a, and a polo. And Tanya wears a, it was a bib short outfit. And it, but it wasn't, it wasn't your bib blue overhauls. 
it, it had been somebody had sewn it. It was really, it was cute, and, and she looked really good. But you should have seen the church that we went to, they were witnessing unto her. They were sharing the gospel with her because they were pretty sure by her outward dress that she was not saved. Now, we can giggle at some of this stuff, but it's actually true. And this is what I, what I absolutely love when I came to faith in Christ Jesus. And when I landed and I found that to belong to a, a body of believers who, who learned from history and followed the Bible. And you know what? When we showed up at Calvary Chapel St. Paul, very first time we visited there, I couldn't even tell you what we were wearing. But one of the brothers comes by and he just, and we were accepted in the beloved and, and he just like, he pulls up my pant legs. I just check and see if God blessed your socks off. <laughs> you know, just like, just this, who are these people? That they would, it, it would, it did not matter what you looked like. It did not matter what you were wearing or saying. None of that, this was, none of this was, none of this was the measurement. Now, this is why we're, we're indebted to Acts 15, to the work of the Holy Spirit that they followed, and they did that. And, and this is it. If, we're, if we believe this, we should be free. See, the liberty, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ Jesus has made you free, right? Galatians 5.1. And do not be entangled again to a yoke of bondage. Now, let's face it. Again, I, I love that. With, with, uh, well, let's just say people move about the world a lot more than they used to. And so now we have people groups that have come to Fargo. When Tanya was in school, there were probably only a handful of, of students from other countries or of any color. I mean, this, this was, a, I love the cosmopolitan nature now of Fargo. People from all over the place, all the better food. All right. We, the restaurants, you get experiences and people, but it's also become a target rich environment. Now, my line of thought along this is I've seen cultures. I've seen, I've seen the outward show in other cultures. So we could talk about ours, but now, the, again, amongst different people groups from Africa, for the ladies, it's usually one thing that, if they're Christians, one thing they can't do. And some of us like, in this particular group, you, you, you don't wear makeup, but you can do whatever you do with the hair, and their hair is all decked out. It's about the hair, but they don't wear makeup. Because makeup would not be... Holy. And again, these are the things that came up. Now, why I bring it up for us tonight is along this line that we would be strengthened by our faith in Jesus Christ. Far more important than what's going on on the inside of the cup than the outside. Oh, I know why, why churches want the outward, outward signs and the outward rituals. It helps keep, keep things in order. See, but to come to a group of people who says, well, we trust the Holy Spirit as the one who, he's the keeping power. It requires us to be a bit more interactive on this thing called fellowship, discipleship, truly getting to know one another and really asking the questions, are you born from above? And, and this is where this comes unto now in the beginning when they made that decision, they wrote the letter and we left off in the middle of 22 and that was a 30 minute introduction. Don't give me a week off. You're going to get more stuff. I get more time to, to get more information. It pleased the, the, the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men with Paul and Barnabas. So of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, they send Justice and they send Barsabbas, uh, who again, uh, excuse me, Judas, who was also named Barsabbas and then Silas. And they wrote this letter. 
And so the letter came from everyone in Jerusalem. And listen close to this letter, right? The apostles, elders, and brethren to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. You know what I hear? We're brothers. See, and this is what I loved about coming to Calvary Chapel St. Paul. It was accepted and the beloved. And I looked across the makeup of the people, and they have, they have people from all different kinds of backgrounds. I'm like, you would look at it, the church and say, they have every socioeconomic sort of mixture of people coming to church, and you're like, what is going on? Doctors, and then you have you have the homeless guy who was saved, and you know, you look at this and like, I, this is amazing what I found, and it was not homogeneous over appearances, nor was it an outward show of like, hey, we're we're holy, or or again, or the look of money. And again, read George Mueller in his autobiography of really his prayer journal, when he started pastoring, you know what his first thing to do was to follow the book of James and he abolished the practice of the rich getting the best seats in the church because you would buy your pew. And he's like, we're not doing that anymore. So his pay, his pay, he had a pay cut, but he was promoted. I mean, you, you understand this, right? And then he learned to trust God for that. And these are the things, we come to this letter. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words. Now, when you read the book of Galatians, Paul identifies later on that those went out to that region, they were false brethren. These are the brothers. But they went out again in their zeal saying, we need to do something with these Gentiles that they would address their flesh. Because isn't that what, isn't that the heart of circumcision? We acknowledge our flesh is not accepted before God. What's the heart of water baptism? The idea that our flesh is not acceptable, it's got to be washed clean. It's got to be crucified with Christ. And these are the things. What is the whole effect of an outward show of holiness? We want to live holy lives. But it only happens as God works from within. And in this letter, they found out that someone troubled with words, unsettling your souls. That word there for unsettling literally means to move luggage. It's a term to describe that when you're traveling or you have all your belongings and you're moving, can you imagine moving and misplacing all your stuff? You would be very unsettled. That's the word. We left, we packed all the stuff, moved across the country, and the moving truck never showed up. That's how unsettled this was. And it was with, with the words agitating them. Again, think of your what we like in a dishwasher, or not a dishwasher, a clothes washer, that it has a sufficient agitation to get our clothes clean. But for us, we again, we're sheep. We do not want to be agitated. We want things to be secure, assured. And and then those that had come out with the troubling words was you must be circumcised and keep the keep the law. And, it, and they say, here's their letter. We gave no such commandment. That was never directed from the apostles, the elders, or the church. Those went out. They took it upon themselves that they needed to do that. And if you study this throughout history, and I challenge you to look it up, almost all of those outward shows and rituals, those things were never really directed. Those Almost all of them arrived out of someone with an opinion saying we should do this. Did you know the whole eating meat, meat, eat, eating only fish on Friday, no meat, no meat Fridays, 
comes out of a group of nuns who wanted to support the local fishermen in this one part of France, and they started serving fish only on Friday to support. It's an economic decision. But then others hear about it, and they say, does that make us more holy? That identifies us. And, and then just think of all the things that identify outwardly. I mean, if you see someone do this, right? Or they get into the pew. Did I just do that? Did I cross the right way or the wrong way? You know, but you get this, and all of a sudden there's this concentration of an outward show. It can even come into our jewelry. Can it not? It can come into all these things. And why I talk about it this, in the beginning it was clearly decided, no such commandment. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. There's no division between the Gentile church and the and the Jewish church because there is no Gentile church and there is no Jewish church. It's just simply the church. Now, do you realize denominations can't separate the body of Christ? Isn't that funny? Because I, I can start talking, well, this denomination does this, and they emphasize this. And, and, and I'll, I'll talk with people because I've studied denominations and what they believe in salvation. And you really got to test, are they, are, they, are they genuinely saved? And that's my only test. That is sincerely my only test of acceptance is, are you born of him? And these things come up. They describe Paul and Barnabas as beloved and that they've risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's not their only qualification, is it? But in regards to their identification, like, hey, we've heard from these guys and they've went out and at their own cost. If it really wasn't worth it to them, would they still be preaching the gospel? And then he says, we send Judas and Silas who will report the same thing by word of mouth. Hey, Paul and Barnabas did not forge this letter. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Now, I just encourage you to circle, you know, highlight, however you mark up verse 28 or get it in your notes. It's simply this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And this idea of it seemed, so what they're doing is they're deriving this out of what the Holy Spirit said. And they're making their decisions based off of what the Scriptures and what the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding was, and it's like, we're not going to put a burden on them. And then they identified how the Holy Spirit saved the Gentiles, and they looked at this thing like, there's no difference. So why would we put upon them a burden our fathers couldn't keep? And in saying that, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to put no greater burden upon you. And then they named these necessary things. Now, if we would name what is necessary today, you would, you would think, what is, what is a necessity for a Christian? A necessity for a Christian, I, again, you, you think it through, it's like, it, it would be that, that clear thing. It is God's will for you to live a sanctified life. You're to be set apart from the world. You're, be, you're, you're not to serve and worship the things in this world or love them, but you are to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. You simply would say, I, I live for him. Uh, or this, no man can serve two masters. The, the idea of you just say, my life is his. There is a certain beautiful, peaceful, simple quality concerning the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the necessary things, uh, ab- abstain from things offered to idols. Now, this is, this, this is a great study that continues through the Bible. So in your notes there, just write 2 Corinthians, and I think it's chapter 
I'd have to look it up. It's not eight, but I, for some reason I want to think eight. And, and Paul goes on to describe an idol is really nothing. And he says, so he, he's talking about what do you, does a Christian eat meat sacrificed to an idol? Here it was abstained from things offered to idols. And it said, but if you're going to go to the marketplace and you're going to buy meat. Now, do any of you shop halal meat? So what's that? Do any of you eat kosher meat? Now, I have had the worst steak in my life. It was a kosher steak when I was in Israel. And I ordered it. It came out like leather. And, and I see why you want that creamy mushroom sauce on top. Well, it's not cream. Mushrooms for flavor. Now, what am I getting at? Halal meat, that's, 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 the, that's the ritual code by, by Islam that has now come to both Fargo and Grand Forks. And there's halal markets. Said, so do you go in there and say, I want to order meat? But first I need to know, did you pray to Allah before you killed this? Of course they did. Right? So again, and then Paul says, because of conscience sake, not yours, the others. He says, an idol's really nothing. So the idea of abstaining from things offered to idols has a clearer expression when Paul goes out to the church and describes unto them. He says, for conscience sake, just go to the market, buy what you want to buy, and eat it. But if, but if anybody says this was offered to an idol, he says, don't buy it for their sake. And that's how that abstaining from idols really really uh, granted, uh, again, I think a great understanding. And then abstain from things, from blood and things strangled. I think that's a great reminder, just like, hey, the blood, the life is in the blood. It's, it's a clear statement. And I, I'm thankful. I have never desired to eat blood pudding. No, no interest. It's like, I have no problem with that. I don't want to I don't want to drink and eat blood. And, and others have had to like say, well, I, I may have to put that away. And then the uh, sexual immorality, which I think, if we're honest, isn't that the biggest, I would say, problem in the in the world, and then how that comes into the church? Like First Corinthians five, a man has his his stepmom. I mean, it's it's not new now, but certainly the way I describe what's going on now, I'm like, yeah, um, pretty much a world that wants anything and everything to go. Yeah, that's okay. Do what you want. And, and so our clear separation of of how we handle these things, and then he says, if you keep your Think yourself from these, you do well. And then they go forth. Now, the result of that, when they went out in verse 30, so being sent off, they come to Antioch, and when they had gathered the church together, they gathered the multitude, they delivered the letter, and they read it out loud. They, they read it and rejoiced over its encouragement. Now, here's a key thing as we, as we do this, and this is how this is to be. I hope that as you listen to me talk about when the church has gotten into the ritual of the outward instead of addressing the inward, they've stumbled. All the outward rituals have caused the church to stumble because who can keep up an outward show? Do you know the pressure of living outwardly holy? The pressure of always having to appear to others as holy. Just ask a pastor's kid where that environment was allowed, like the, like the pastor had to pretend like their home life was perfect. I just love it with us. So he's like, they're kids. This is our lives. And, and just that freedom of like, hey, don't do that to us. I would say that to people. Don't you dare treat them like that. They're, they're, peop- they're, they're, they're our children. And I, would, you want, would you expect that we should live outwardly holy and then you, could, you can go home and do whatever you want to do? See, and this, these are the things that really make the difference. And, and what happened is they were encouraged you know that this is the effect of the Holy Spirit in the church concerning gifts of the Spirit? 
exhortation and, and encouragement and edification through that gift of prophecy. See, because what happens when you switch to an outward instead of the inward? You don't need the Holy Spirit for an inward working, do you? You don't need the Holy Spirit. And I, I just exhort, uh, and, a, and a guy who, who wants to have an outward expression, and he wants to have this, this outward expression of his worship and, and to show everybody that he's spirit-filled. I mean, some expressions of worship, that's all they're trying to show everybody is that they're spirit-filled. And then there's a contest between I'm more spirit-filled than you are. But I'm really much more interested, were you fighting with your wife this week? How did you do when tempted to this? And because and the real issue is, is our walk in the Holy Spirit. I, I'm going to stand tall on that one. They rejoiced over its encouragement. Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Hey, this is the result. This is what, this is what should happen with the gift of prophecy. It should strengthen and encourage the church. Now, we'd be far better off to put away our outside rituals, worried about the outside of the cup, address the inside, so our discipleship meetings. If you ever follow in the beginnings of, of say, like the Methodists, they, not only did they have a method of when they started service and they, they were very methodical and they were made fun of, that's how they were called Methodists, but in the beginning when it was a genuine work of the Holy Spirit, they were excellent on discipleship. And they would meet with people week by week and they would make disciples. And like, what are you dealing with this week? What's, where, where are you being tempted? Where did you stumble? Where did you sin? Let's pray for this. Let's work on this. And the, the discipleship was amazing. You can read the history books. And it's probably a great effect upon, upon what happened. And now you look at the Methodist church and they're like everybody else, right? Dead, dead, dead churches that are saying, well, we're going to vote if, if homosexuality is okay or not. You know, you, you think about the, this, think of the sin that goes on in the world. And, well, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I mean, you, you, you see how this can so get tripped up. When the gifts of the Spirit came and they had made righteous judgments and they said, this is about following Jesus Christ. Have you believed his gospel? It strengthened and encouraged the church. And then they stayed there for a time. They were sent back with greetings from the church at Antioch to answer the church in Jerusalem. So don't ever think that the church in Jerusalem sets all the policy. Nobody sets policy. Now, you think about this, it's the Holy Spirit. And this is why it's very important, I believe, that as a local body of believers, we remain faithful to God. The scriptures. Hey, there's a fair enough of opinions that you can base your decisions on that. You can end up unstable and a double-minded man so easily when you're like, I just don't know what to do. Listen, the instructions that James gives, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Never should the church say, we're confused about this. But you know why we say we're confused? We say we're confused because we don't want to either hurt someone's feelings or we don't want to agree with God's judgment. When the Holy Spirit gives a judgment, and so they're exhorting and strengthening and they stay there and they send back greeting and it seemed good to Silas to stay there. And Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. And, And if you look at that in 35, they're preaching the word, teaching and preaching. I love that. What, what, what do we really need? We really need the teaching of the word of God. Why did this? Why do we have all this outward stuff? It's a shortcut. When you give people something to do outwardly, they don't need to read the Bible and follow it. 
All they got to do is get in line and in order and concentrate on these things. I think of all the things that, that just have been said to people to, to really force an outward show. So after some days, Paul says to Barnabas, verse 36, let's go back and see the church. She says, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word. Now, I love this. They're preaching the word and teaching in Antioch. And as they're doing that, he starts thinking about the churches. And they've been strengthened. He says, let's, let's go visit all the other churches. Paul uh, Barnabas was determined to take John Mark. John called Mark. Uh, Paul insisted that he should not go with them that they should not take him because he's the one who had departed when they were in, was it Pamphylia? Yeah, and, and then had not gone with them to the work. He left them, and Paul says, no. Barnabas says, yes. And it said that the contention became so sharp that they departed one another. So Mark and, and uh, Barnabas takes Mark, and they go to Cyprus. Remember, Cyprus is Barnabas's home country. It's an island. That's where he's from. And they go there, but then... Uh, Silas, now Paul takes Silas, and I like this. If you listen to it, it seemed good to us to deliver this to you. It seemed good to us to send these men, and now Silas is there, and it seemed good to Silas to stay there. Don't you love the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit concerning the reality? When you have the Spirit and you're making decisions, sometimes it comes down to it, and part of that non-confusion, it it seemed good to me. I'm walking in obedience to the Lord. It seemed good to me to do it this way. And that's, that's a reality, and you see it played out in Acts 6, uh, 15. So the contention is so sharp that they depart, and they separate company, and now you have two groups going out. But I say, where do, where do the scriptures, who do the scriptures keep a record of and continue with? Paul. It says in, in uh, 30 and 40, Paul chose Silas, they departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and they went through uh, Syria, Cilicia, doing what? strengthening the churches. And this is the effect. Now into 16 as we, we'll wrap up here in about 10 minutes. I'll, I'll keep an eye on the clock and be done about 6.30 tonight. Strike that from the record. Because <laughs> you're like, it's 6.31. All right. Then he came to Derby and Lystra. So this is the place where he had gone out the first trip and, and he, he was stoned in one of those cities. And the church is there and the church is, is and they go out, and their their intent is to strengthen them in what? Their faith. Strengthen them. You've believed upon Jesus Christ. You've believed the gospel. And this is this is this is a very important part of church. Strengthening the church, edifying the church, building up the church, encourage them to 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 trust God, and that's what they go forth and do. Now they find Timothy there, a certain disciple named Timothy, son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. Now this is this becomes interesting. So Paul's taking this letter out saying, you do not need to be circumcised. They find this believer named Timothy there. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were Lystra and Iconium. Hey, he's going to the churches already. He's, he's traveling as he, whether he's doing business or he's just going to visit the church, and he becomes well spoken of. And, and again, I remind you, it's because of his faith. How do I know it's because of his faith? Right there in your notes, 2 Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 3 through 9. That faith existed first in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. I was like, which way is it which? And he says, and I'm persuaded is in you also. 
Now, this is a good thing, right? This is, it's his faith. And, and that's what we're known by. When we walk by faith and we trust God and we walk in the spirit, put, put no confidence in the flesh, when we can humble ourselves and say, yeah, I, I, I'm in the light. We should be very comfortable in the body of Christ rather than an outward show, right? We should be very comfortable with a genuine, humble, hey, we're all sinners, and at any given point in time, any one of us might need to confess openly to one another, and we might need to say, yeah, it is, I messed up. I sinned. I, I was tempted, and I was, this came, and, and this is the reality. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not our outward performance. And this is a trapping yet today in every church to put on the outward show. Families fighting all the way in church. Cross the threshold, smiles come on. How are you? We're great. You know, we're trained by experience, and we're like, no, you're not. Yes, we are. No, you're not. You know, and, and you can see this. Paul and describing Timothy, and he encourages them later on according to his faith. So Paul wants to Paul wants to take him with him. He he something in Timothy. And Paul's called, and, and Silas is going out, and now Timothy joins them. And he took him, he had him circumcised. Verse 3, because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew his father was a Greek. They're delivering a letter to the Gentiles that says, you do not need to be circumcised to be saved, but they're still going out, and some of those believers are Jewish. And, and Timothy, like, man, and... and and the only way I can describe this, as a follower of Jesus Christ who's going to serve him, Paul says, hey, if you're going to be all things to all men, if you're going to be able to preach to all people, you're going to be accepted in every circle, lay down your life, right? And he needed to be circumcised according to what they did, and, and he does it. And they went through the cities. They're delivering the letter, the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And look at the effect in verse 5. The churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and they were and the region of Galatia, so as they're they're going up, and, and they didn't go by the sea this time, they went up through Tarsus and they come to Lystra, Derby, Iconium, and they come through the regions of Galatia. And now Paul is looking and has his sights set to go to Asia to preach the gospel. It says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, right there in verse 6. Now, I, I, I like, they're going out with what? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us to, to send this letter, and they go out, everywhere they go, the church is strengthened and encouraged, and now they've done that to all the churches they've been to, and now they're looking to preach Christ further. I love what Paul did. And in doing that, he says, we are forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now, Acts 13 describes the Holy Spirit spoke to them, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the, the work I've called them unto. We do not get how the Holy Spirit forbid them here. Was it a gift of the Spirit? Possible. But most think that Paul, whenever he headed in that direction, he became very ill and could not continue to travel. And he discerned that out of that whole thing, that he just could not continue that it was the Holy Spirit forbidden them. And then instead of looking to Asia, verse 7 says they, they came into Mysia and then they tried to go to Bithynia. Bithynia is the area by the Black Sea. So basically due north, there's population. So in Asia, which is now modern-day Turkey, the seven, the seven letters to the seven churches, 
Paul's like, I want to get there. There's people there. Now he can't go there by the Holy Spirit. Now he wants to go up with this, the southern region of the Black Sea because there's people there. Holy Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. They find themselves back on the coast. And verse 9 says, Paul had a vision. It appeared to him in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, I love this working of the Holy Spirit concerning not that he didn't want those people saved, or not that he didn't want those people saved, but that he had a specific calling and a place and a timing, and 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 Paul was to cross over the Aegean Sea, and he was going to get into Macedonia. They had the call from help and a vision. After he had seen the vision, look at that in 10. Immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Do you know the Holy Spirit will do that? The Holy Spirit will he'll close a door. And you're like, what happened? Sometimes we're wondering, did Satan hinder this? We were going to go do this and now we can't do it? And, like this, and then you find out, well, then where should we go? And you try another thing. And finally, when, when, when the Lord leads through this vision, they, the next day they get a boat. Verse 11, they sail from Troas and they ran a straight course to Samothrace. Next day came to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. So in a matter of a couple days after the vision, concluding the Holy Spirit that God wanted them to go into Macedonia and preach Christ, they saw the man from Macedonia like, God wants us there. You see how quickly they got there. Forbidden, couldn't get, couldn't get to, to Asia, could not get to Bithynia, could not get to the populations of the people. Do I have it right on the map in my mind? Where Asia's at and Bithynia's up north? Is that what you're looking at? You're looking at where, where Philippi is? I'm curious. I, I didn't look up the map this time around. Yeah, that's where Bithynia is? Yeah, gotcha. Okay, I'm just curious. I'll look, I'll look up my map when we're done. I see you in your map. like, I want to be seeing your map. So as they go, they come to Philippi, the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. Do you understand? A colony. That means it was far away from Rome, but because of the trouble of the fighting amongst the people there, they decided to put Roman rule, colonize it. Now, how did they colonize it? They are not colonizing it with people from Rome. They are colonizing it by placing it under Roman rule with, what does Rome do? They dispatch soldiers and judges. Pontius Pilate, right? A Roman prefect. Can you understand, Israel was under Roman rule, but it was not a colony. In making Philippi a colony, they replaced all their laws and rules. Think of all the trouble that Rome had in Israel. Because they allowed the continuance of all the practices, the high priests, the two political parties, the Sanhedrin, all that stuff continues. Not so in Philippi. You know what Philippi is ruled by? Roman law. Right? Enforced by the, by the authority of Rome, the strength of the soldiers judged by Romans who are placing them under Roman law. That's where Paul and Silas show up. On the Sabbath day, they went out of the city to the riverside, to, went out of the city by the riverside where prayer was customarily made. There's no synagogue in Philippi. Because if there was a synagogue, they would have been in 
the synagogue. So they did not have ten righteous men to establish a synagogue. The custom is, if there's no synagogue, the Jews would go out to the source of water on the Sabbath, and that's where they would pray. So that's where they go. And while they're there, they're talking to the women who are there. And a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple, and she's not even from Philippi. She's from Thyatira. And she intently listens. She heard us. Again, I I put that in there, intent. Um, That's not in the scripture. It says the Lord, she worshiped God. So probably a Jew, or again now Thyatira, maybe not Jewish born, but we would say a convert to Judaism. And she hears the gospel, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, again, so she's expressing faith, water baptized, they're at the water. It says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the, to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And so she persuaded them. And that's as far as we're going to go tonight. So with the clock being two minutes fast, I, I got three minutes yet. So let me summarize this for us. Here's my encouragement. Acts 15 cries out to us, be genuine. Acts 15 cries out to us, our sanctification, our holiness, our lives, this is about having the inside of the vessel cleansed. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Anything of the inner working concerning, how about this, how you speak to one another, how you treat one another, how you serve one another. Again, when you think about works of the flesh, Galatians 5, Paul expresses to the churches of Galatia, he says, works of the flesh are evident. Anger, outbursts of wrath, emulations, and he goes through the list. Adultery, murder, and he goes through all these sins, says, that's the works of the flesh. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. What are we really talking about? What's, what's, really, the, what's really the evidence of being believers, children of God, living like Jesus Christ, it's the fruit we're looking for is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's the word to the churches of Galatia. And that's really our word, isn't it? The word to the churches of Galatia is why you seek to perfect in in the flesh which was begun in the spirit. What happens with every spirit-filled movement? They gradually navigate toward flesh. So how important is it for us to say what? If we've begun in the Spirit, then what should we say with one another? Continue in the Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. Again, concentrate on your life between you and the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit lead and guide your life. Let Him search your heart. Let Him direct your steps. Let Him be the power of God in your life. Because you know how, how, how easily it can come up? One little sin, you want to hide it from everybody else. And the moment you hide, you you invite darkness. And like, oh, that's why the scriptures say, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all our sin. And we have fellowship with one another. See, what happens when you switch to outward show? You really don't know if the other person is bluffing or not, do you? It's like playing poker at church. Are you bluffing? Do you really have it? And how do you really know one another when you're bluffing? When your love is hypocritical? I love you. And you turn around and stab a a knife in their back when they turn. Now. Cool. We got people. I don't think they're coming in here. So 
Lord bless you. May the grace of God abound to you. May you just leave here tonight saying, just more in love with Jesus Christ. Say, you know what? Lord, open up my heart and work in my heart. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. I do not need another outward show to convince the people that I go to church with that I'm a good person because they already know I'm not. Isn't that freeing? If you yourself know that you're not a good person in and of yourself, isn't that freeing to show up and say, this is me. Now, the only good in me, again, Paul says it this way, the only good thing in my flesh is that there's, there's nothing good in my flesh. And, and that's his statement. So may you just be freed up. You know how wonderful liberty is? Liberty is so beautiful. You don't have to, you don't have to pretend with anybody. So we raised our kids that way. We knew, we knew what this all meant. We, we knew what it meant to live our lives in a fishbowl. We never told our kids, no, you've got to act this certain way because, you're, because people are looking. Never said that to them. We just more address their hearts, just like, just like I would expect every one of you to address your heart. I wonder what they thought about that. Whenever you start thinking that way, just crucify that thought. Take it captive. What does it matter what anybody else thinks about you? Because behind this thing that I'm sharing with you now in my second sermon, it's about pleasing God. This really is about pleasing God. Now, when you're alone, do you get concerned? Lord, does this please you? That sharpens me over and over. When I'm alone, do I please God? Right? When I'm with other people, do I please God? And that, my brothers and sisters, is a very sharp sword that the Spirit can use. Like, oh, i got to make some changes. So, you guys want me to keep talking? Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for Jesus. Thank you for the true example of an inward inwardly righteous and holy and true through and through unto the outward that was always consistent, always faithful, always true. Jesus, make us more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you. You are at liberty. Boys, I don't want to see...